Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Bessie Graham. Remember that name, I will. Not only will I remember Bessie's name, but this spellbinding conversation. Now, you'll hear me ascribing magical terms to this fine consultant whose company is called Benefit Capital. But, you know, I had to go with my feelings. And this is my first meeting with Bessie that you're hearing. And I was enchanted. I called her an alchemist. What is the chemistry that she works with? The best kind, human chemistry. She helps people open up and relax and talk with her as a thought partner about what really matters to them down deep. It also happens that they're a senior leader of a company and the authenticity that they truly desire emerges in a change. Alchemy brings change that then allows them to change the direction and the tenor of their company. Well, I don't know if I've done credit to the work that Bessie and her partner have been doing for many years, but I can tell you this, I felt changed at the end of this conversation. I felt listened to and included, and maybe I discovered a few things about myself which is not always my intention, but it's nice when it happens. And you, listener, may have the same experience with Bessie Graham. Well, folks, in recent time, I've had conversations with interesting folks in the United Kingdom. And so we said across the pond. Well, now we're going to hear a conversation with Bessie Graham, who is across so many continents and so many bodies of water that we just have to imagine that I'm sitting next to her in Australia, which I would love to be, but I'm not. But it's wonderful to be able to reach out, thanks to Zoom, to have a conversation with Bessie. Now, in our in our talking with each other before I turned on the recording, we explored a little bit about how she would like to be introduced. And uh, while she didn't say these words, I think I would say that Bessie is the best kind of human alchemist. She's an alchemist. And now she's shuddering and I saying, steal that. <laughs> turn, turn, turn off, turn off the camera. No. Uh, and, and, and here's why it came to me, because what she does is a, as a gifted consultant, working with the senior leadership of mainly business organizations, is to help them see that it's through business business itself that they can do good while doing well. Mm. And that takes a lot of different ingredients, Bessie, and it's kind of, you have to work them up as a special potion every time you start with a new client. But one of the wonderful things about effective alchemy is that the result, the outcome is change a totally changed state of if it were a physical thing it would change the physical thing but in a social thing which is all business really is 
seeing change come from what you've helped them do differently must be a thrill. So what do you think about being an alchemist? Very happy to uh, to take that uh, that naming, especially with the beautiful description that sort of accompanied it. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, there there is this notion of um, I'm trying to remember which piece it was in that that Plato spoke about that for each of us our job is to be the midwife for the other's soul, and it is this bringing out or drawing out of what is already present. But yeah. that often people have either forgotten or pushed down or in amongst all of the busyness and noise, they've just lost sight of it. That's yeah. the thing that I love doing because I think you're right. With with leaders, it is just the connecting of dots that they are so unable to see because of they're, they're deep in the weeds, if you like, mm -hmm. um, that allows them to then more fully show up and be who they are. That's That's what I'm doing. Well, it sounds to me like one of the very first things you help a leader do is find more about themselves mm -hmm. uh, through your eyes and through your words uh, that perhaps they have been taught over time is personal, not business. You know that, that dichotomy? Oh, oh yes. it's don't nothing personal there. It's just business. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. if you've been going up through the ranks and uh, over time and be re rewarded more for that and even sacrificing a lot of your own personal time and loves and things i can see where you could first have to work a little harder on the top leaders who are most visible to the rest to help them watch find themselves being absolutely wonderfully more human than anyone ever imagined including them <laughs> yeah and actually giving them permission, because I think you're right, it, there's a deep connection between part of why we establish these patterns and lose sight of the human aspects or coming more fully to to work or, uh, you know, what it is that our brilliance is that we can bring to the world. We've separated those things out in, in one way because we have been rewarded the word that you used we've been rewarded for certain behaviors we've been rewarded for showing up in a particular way with a persona or a mask that kind of people then uh, gave us the acknowledgement the position there was that sense of achievement and so that becomes a pattern because particular types of people tend to be drawn into you know setting big goals becoming that leader that you know, naturally puts their hand up in any room. And so yeah. the permission to actually say to them, you don't have to perform in a certain way <laughs> in order to have that role. It, it takes some unlearning. So that's some coaching on your part. Huh? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> how, how long and on the average does it take for someone to kind of, drop their their epaulets a little bit down and relax and maybe loosen their tie or or the the thing that they're wearing around the neck the woman who wears those wonderful scarves it's like oh thank god we can talk <laughs> yeah, i can breathe <laughs> well to be honest i think in some respects it depends uh how 
broken or how far they've already gone into um, the realisation that they cannot sustain how they have been showing up or performing. And so my favourite, for something to be in a category where I feel like I can jump in and I can bring my best to the situation, it is actually ideal that someone has already at least had that aha moment where they've gone, oh, this is not all there is, like I can't keep doing this. Um, If they still need to have a bit of that convincing, then it's actually better to use the vehicle of something like a podcast or have them interacting with your ideas but not yet having to be doing the the one-on-one because I think that can take 18 months of just hearing these things and saying, no, I don't agree with that or hearing it and feeling a little bit of resonance and and start to question yourself, but you're not quite ready and you're quite defensive. So part of what I've been trying to experiment with in the last few years is how do I not put myself in a situation where I'm trying to convince a leader that they have to do their own work first? Like I I can help you with your business model but we actually need to get some clarity on you first. That's often not what people want to hear. And so figuring out how you share ideas and start to get someone to make that mindset shift, which I think is foundational, is part of why I'm playing with and trying to develop, okay, is a podcast conversation a good way to do that? Is an article or a little video on YouTube, they're all attempts to break down some of those walls because I do think that in order for someone to really get the most out of engaging with someone like me as their thinking partner, they need to already have an openness and a curiosity at least. I'm very happy for them to disagree with me and argue. In fact, they're wonderful conversations to kind of go through. That's right. The conversation will do it. Exactly. But you don't want them to be so far away from a realisation that they do have to do their own (laughs) exploration and self-work. I, there's so many things I want to say about what you just just said, but I'll first uh, uh, restate the word thinking partner, thinking partner. Mm -hmm. And that then uh, makes it easier for me to understand the blog, the article, all of the other ways that you are saying, hey, Here's Bessie Graham. Here's who I am. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn, other places where you can be found. Uh, and wouldn't you like to <laughs> sit down in person or at least on Zoom and explore uh, the possibility that if you and I talk a lot and think deeply as partners, that you can institute the kind of changes that your customers, society, and particularly your employees are begging for. (laughs) Oh, exactly. Because they are. are. Those are the times, you know, all over the world. uh, What what worked and worked well for managerial leaders uh, in every setting, certainly in the U.S. government right now, Mm -hmm. nothing that you always, always did is going to satisfy change. And so here's Bessie Graham. Oh, I heard this cool conversation on a podcast. And and then there's links, right, to you and to your business that says, and if you'd like to know more, let's connect. 
Yes. And I think that piece, you're right. So I ask a lot of questions. I think one of the pieces is that if I think about the way someone who positioned themselves to a leader is saying, I'm a consultant, often they, it's the aspect of they already know what, what it is they're selling you. It's this off-the-shelf solution of regardless of what your context or your challenges are, I have a seven-step program or, you know, I have oh. this, this way I do something. And that is not the way that I operate. And I don't think that that, for the types of leaders and really experienced business owners that I work with where I think we can have massive impact if we shift the way they think and lead – they're not drawn to that because part of what is appealing, I think, about the practitioner bit <laughs> is that there is that curiosity. There is the honouring and respecting of their own expertise and their own experience. But it is uh, – so my partner of, of 20 years, Brad, he has this beautiful – phrase that he always used for me in the early days when I was younger and stepping into situations and, and feeling like, oh, this person is far more experienced than me. And Brad would always say to me, they bring content, you bring form. You don't Ooh, have like to be that. an expert. If they are in a business that is in manufacturing, it's not that you need to wait until you know every detail of manufacturing to the same extent or more than they do. No, no, that's their area. So they have the content. What I need to have, and I think in some ways this starts to move into the aspects around um, practice or this distinction between, um, you know, there's theory and I would talk about tools or heuristics, thinking tools. Yeah. I bring the form of you're an expert in your particular business or your area. You have all of that content. I'm not arguing with you about that and I'm not claiming to know more than you. But I can come in and look at all of that content. I then have a rich store of different tools and frameworks and ways that I would put a lens over that or pattern yeah. that. I then can help you make sense of and draw out how would we make a decision? How would we prioritise? What are the filters we put over this? Mm -hmm. And I think that allows people to relax a little bit in that you're not yeah. telling them that you know more than them. You're not – you are listening and curious and trying to draw out all of this rich content from them and then overlaying that with your form or tools to, mm -hmm. to make sense of it. Together in that process then you arrive at – uh, the marriage of form and content mm -hmm. in a way I would guess what it does is co-create say yes. a theory of how to move forward mm -hmm. that's uh, unique to leadership and unique to what they what they do in the world uh, yeah. and that going forward you then release to them at some point because they're mm -hmm. off with their own more clarified idea of uh, how to proceed. And I think that is a great gift that you give the world. If you, you know, I, I wish you could do it two or 300 leaders at a time, but yeah. that would be putting them in a hotel room conference and, and giving them a Ted talk. And that does have some effect, but what you do has a great deal more effect because you're customizing. Hmm. What, and I think um, one of the bits that can what, help them relax a little bit in that is if we then 
as someone who thinks in this way and has those tools or the the different ideas, the different practices that, mm -hmm. that we use, part of what I am exploring at the moment is can I capture and share those enough that actually a broader group of leaders who may not have the opportunity to work directly with me, so I do agree with you, it's not at the same level of transformative um, power if, if you're not able to sit with them as their individual thinking partner. But if I can equip them with some of these different tools, different ways of positioning themselves in looking at an opportunity or a challenge, can they start to feel more comfortable to let go of some of that black and white thinking, that either or way of looking at the world? And are they able to trust those tools enough and that they are equipped to relax into having more of the mindset that I talk about, which is a both and mindset of saying, oh, two things that seem contradictory can be equally true. And I think that's an exciting place to be playing to say if we want to have bigger impact, but we want it to honour their own brilliance, how do I bring what I know and equip more people with that than I could work with one-on-one? -on -one? That's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I think the, that question, how can I disseminate, is an awful mm -hmm. word, but it's, oh, yeah, it, no, it's really yeah. the right word. Uh, I've, I've said in a number of the podcasts and in, in the book on practice as a way of being, that uh, the uh, experience is a laboratory. All experience is a laboratory. If you come in with an inquisitive mind, but the benefit of a laboratory is is bringing out some results that change things for the better. And so, um, if you've been visiting uh, a number of these individual laboratories, you're developing more of a gestalt of uh, what it is to get and, and or what's it, and or, and. Uh, hey, oh, I'm, both and, yes, both to and, kind of uh, you know, switch from either or. Now you're looking at an 80-year-old yeah. man struggling for, <laughs> for oh, yeah, a, few, a few words yeah. he just heard, but they're so important words. But the point is that now you've seen a pattern in those mini labs that you've been running, uh, and now you can bring them out through your writing, through your podcast. And, you know, I'm sure you give some talks when, yes. when it makes sense to do so. Uh, yeah. And here's what I love particularly about that. You know, we academics, which I was for over 50 years with the PhD and, and the professorships and all the lovely uh, trappings of the office, which then meant that any setting I went into, I'm a professor, you know, and uh, once I stopped being that, when I retired seven years ago, I was thinking, wow, wait a minute, I'm having a lot more fun and impact introducing myself as Dave and then showing genuine interest in what was going on and what do people think about it as Dave. Just yeah. Dave. <laughs> uh, so I, I am now in my fourth year of being a practitioner as a podcaster, conversationalist, and author. Mm. Uh, very different. Uh, but the big change was in me. Yes. Because uh, I often thought that 
the only reason people even looked at me seriously was that I was Dr. Firon. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. you maybe are Dr. Graham, but I don't know if that would make a whole lot of difference. My partner with what is Dr. Graham, but we always There you joke. go. You, I get, only you can have bring one out there if you need one. That's right. I only have a master's degree, so no, I'll not Never as, say uh, only. But I'm, <laughs> no, I'm just I'm trying to be a little it's, facetious. No, exactly right, though. Uh, yeah. But in terms of access and in terms of, yeah. of who... Uh, pays attention to us. Mm. Now, I have also learned what you show you do very, very well, that if I kept my candle under a bushel after retiring, no one would ever even know Dave, let alone Dave Furon, uh, you know, with what yes. I do now. So thanks to, to our mutual friend, Dale Ford Stiegler, and uh, and folks that work with them on, on their branding and marketing, I unabashedly have you know a place on linkedin facebook uh, you name it and i keep it very populated pretty much every day with something about practice and therefore me in peterville i i actually love seeing how many people listen i like to see how many people right made a comment on something i i wrote and posted and why sure my ego I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a huge one. <laughs> but what I particularly like is, hey, there's one other soul out there yes. who took an instant while scrolling and clicked mm -hmm. and goes, hmm, that's, that's pretty interesting. I, I might even write a word or two yes. as, as a comment. Now, what's your experience, particularly with all those ways you're out in social media? Yeah, uh, look, I think the... I, I really love the way that you've described that. And I think for me, the aspect is, if I think back to many of the sessions I've run or aspects where I've passionately been trying to get people to look at the world differently or think in a different way, I would always say either at the beginning or at the end of those conversations, you know, this has been a rich and beautiful exploration for us to have, but we want to move beyond the conversation. And part of the, the piece that I'm always, my intent is and that I'm always hoping for is that in these conversations or whether someone listens to a podcast or, or reads something on social media, I want it to be planting that seed. And even if it takes a while, it's how do I awaken possibility in someone? How do I ask a question or frame something in a way that even if they don't consciously get it straight away that it does something in their mind that eventually to use some of your your language that we share what I want is that it actually changes their practice I don't just want it to be an intellectually exciting conversation I want it to sink down into that it is actually altering the way they run their business the way they make decisions, the way they spend money, how they lead their team, all of those aspects, I want those things to, as a result, start to shift. Yeah, and, you know, uh, going up in, in the state of Maine, as I did, we had many sayings, That's, and I suspect that may be true of Australians too. Yeah. But one of ours was, well, that's a tough nut to crack. <laughs> You know, to to get uh, someone who's a manager or leader at any level in any kind of corporation or government organization to uh, 
pause from the extraordinary amount of busyness mm-hmm. and yeah. incomings and what Peter Vale called trying to keep your head up in the white water of change, all yeah. of that to pause and go, hmm, what is, uh, what's hmm. Bessie saying here? What is she speaking to me? I feel like she's speaking to me. Maybe I should like take a breath and listen a little bit more. So you're right. The nut starts to crack a little bit. Uh, Now, I had the advantage for many, many of my years in teaching to teach undergraduates in business schools. So I hadn't quite hardened up yet. True. Yeah, that was too excited. (laughs) So what I would be able to do for them is to say, in every course I taught in management, leadership, quality, you, you name the subject, creativity, I would say, Number one, this course is about you at least 10 years from now and maybe well beyond. That's who this course is for. And you and I are working for that future person. Mm-hmm. And she, he, or they are going to either remember many years from now what you did as a learner with Fearon, or they won't remember it at all. My job is to make this damn memorable and we did i pulled every rabbit out of every hat to do that to the extent that i was acknowledged as a pretty fine teacher and i and i particularly love hearing from former students how they're doing 10 20 years from now uh so back to the nut to be cracked uh when you're um let's jump ahead a little bit to you Mm. how you prepare uh as you move ahead and with your uh, pestle and your and the thing that you make your <laughs> you make your wonderful uh, magic in, uh, mm. how do you prepare yourself for someone who has said, "Okay, uh, I'd like to start that conversation. We'll see where it goes." Do you do look a little bit at what their content is? Don't you? Absolutely. But then so, you have to prepare Bessie. I mean, yes, that's, takes an act of courage, really, every time. Yeah. And I look, my mind's going in multiple, multiple directions here. But if we start with that piece that you said at the end there, part of modeling and sitting in the space of being a practitioner yourself is the old saying of practice what you preach. So to go to that piece of how do I get myself into the right space? If I'm telling other leaders, that in order to lead others, you have to lead yourself first, well, then mm-hmm. you are correct. There is a getting yourself into a place where you can show up in the way that you need to, where you are able to have those aspects of curiosity and yourself being calm and still enough to be listening to that other person and drawing out and thinking about their context, not having that rapidly moving brain that's already thinking about how the 17 things you wanted to teach them are now fitting in you know that piece is critical and I think massively uh, either positively or negatively affects the type of rapport you build with someone the outcomes that you get and if we go back to one of the ideas around ego I think years ago I remember through a few interactions in a row starting to tune into the fact that oh you could run a really great session where you looked very clever and where the client went away saying oh my goodness that was amazing and how did you come up with that strategy and that business model's incredible 
But when you checked back in with them later, because you just presented all of this amazing stuff and they didn't own it, they didn't understand how to actually implement or put that into their operational components, Mm -hmm. you actually were not impactful. All you did was make yourself feel good and make them walk away saying you are clever. And so part of that realisation very early on, which was influenced by some of my education, so if we go back to people who have taught you well, um, both in formal settings and informal, Part of that then started to really sink in for me, which was I would then frame my job, I would say, when I come into something, whether it's that I'm actually founding and building an organisation or if I'm helping someone else on theirs, my job is to make myself redundant. So if I end an interaction with that person saying, well, unless you come in and now implement this for the next 12 months, we can't do anything with it. If that happens, I've failed. So I have had in the the early days, those situations where it can feel good from an ego perspective. So I did a a block where I went in for a month to an organisation in the UK and worked to think through their strategy as they wanted to um, go international. And the board at the end of the time said, oh, you've done more strategy in the last three weeks than we've done in 12 years. And, (laughs) um, you you know, and it was all of these bits where I was thinking, well, that's a problem that, you know, maybe you need to reflect on. But the, the reality was it was great work. They chose a really, um, good strategy if you looked at it in isolation to move forward but their CEO could not implement it. Luckily, he had the self-awareness to admit that and step down. But they were then left in this position where they did ask, you know, could you come over and do it? Now, that's not a good outcome. And so if we go to your piece, part of what I have learnt over time is the component of sitting with the co-creation piece, the aspect that I'm not trying to give them a new strategy or design their business model for them because that will actually not get the outcome that we're looking for here. And so I do think there is a separating of yourself and your role and your ego out of your own practice and how you show up. Oh, my Lord, (laughs) that sounds awfully difficult. I'm sure it's not something you just decided to do and start doing. So over time, you've become more and more um, able to know when to drop the curtain on your on your performance, if you will, and not yeah. even make it a performance. Uh, is do you see that this approach that you and your partner have has how how do I say this without sounding crude? Uh, will people buy what you offer these days, or are they looking for come in and take over and Get us out of this, out of this hole. Uh, is is there is there a bigger and more lucrative market for consulting of that nature than what you offer? Sadly, yes, I would say that <laughs> we are still living in a world where there is a massive desire yeah. for someone to come in and just tell me the answer, fix and it, to fix make it, it fix make it. it simple. Yep, yeah. and give me five but things. Yeah. Yes. What is interesting is seeing. So the the component that Brad, my partner, his PhD and, and he's far more knowledgeable than I am around uh, is 
what he calls social system design. So the design of the immaterial, mm -hmm. how we think, going back to all of the concepts of ancient Greek rhetoric and philosophy and how does that play out into the way we actually design an organisation or a conversation or a you know political system. What does that look like? And it has been fascinating in the 20 years that Brad and I have been together, seeing how people have more and more had a desire and been drawn to some of the ideas. So design thinking has become popular. Everyone loves the word innovation. There's these different concepts that are actually rich and beautiful and very deep concepts. Yes. There is something in people that is drawn to that and that recognises, ooh, that does sound like it could give me a better outcome. And yet we then have a lot of consulting companies and design firms and people coming in that are having the appeal of that language so someone can think they're being innovative or using design thinking. But when you look at the actual methodologies and the way that they approach things, it doesn't yet have the, the depth uh, of what I think is possible when you actually go into that space. So if we were just trying to make as much money as possible, you are correct. It would be about still yeah. giving those easy answers and staying in the either or mindset of, yes, it's very simple. Let me tell you what that will look like in two week <laughs> sprints. <laughs> but I do think, and I have definitely seen in recent years, we are speeding up the adoption and curiosity in many respects out of necessity, not necessarily yeah. because people want to, but yeah. the necessity for people to realise the way that they previously were able to get results is no longer working. Mm -hmm. The way they used to be able to see as externalities in a business context things and just ignore them. So you could use resources at a rapid rate. You could grow and scale at a rate. You could push the production of your products out into a cheaper market and ignore the environmental and social damage you were doing. Mm -hmm. Those behaviours are now far more visible and the expectations of how transparently you account for them and then have to be taking responsibility, whether people like it or not, that has shifted and it is not going back. So I think there is a, a need for and possibly there will be some uncomfortable leaders coming into this space of they don't really want to be working with you in this way, but they realise they have to. Oh, I, 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 I am, I'm with you 100%. I, I certainly agree. Uh, it, it is way beyond time uh, for a different uh, type and calibre of coaching, consulting, you know, fill in the gaps. The, the, it's all the same. Someone who has been uh, a tough nut to crack has now said, okay, I'm open this much at least uh, to the fact that I just can't keep, I cannot let things go the way they've been going. Uh, we had a, a rather large crop of resignations during the pandemic here in the States uh, for relatively young CEOs and other senior leaders uh, after after a time within the, the shutdown saying, well, I see a lot of my employees 
know, staying home and going away. I think I'll, I'll have to too. And then now they're home and they're starting to think, Oh, I have a spouse, kids, I have a dog. <laughs> and, and they started to soften up that way and just say, Hey, maybe pushing everyone back into our building five days a week, including myself and, and pressure cooking in order to keep something like a business in quotes together is, is not a good thing. Not, it's not effective management or leadership. And so I, I think it's coming. And now that you'll be featured in my podcast, uh, Bessie Graham, uh, you'll have so many people knocking on your door. (laughs) I want, I I want to have a thought partner in Bessie Graham. (laughs) Yeah. And I would love that in, in the way that again, if we go back to each person being able to see the fullness of their own experience and their own brilliance coming into the world, I think what can be really overwhelming for a leader who's in that position you just described of on the back of all of the turmoil of COVID and the the changes that are still coming as a result. Still coming. Still coming. We're We're not through it. But it can actually be confusing and push people further into an either or mindset and that black and white thing where people then react to the other extreme and they say well that was not fulfilling and I have been wasting my life and so now I need to just go and live on a farm and make my own bread and you know they go to go to these other yeah yeah. And, and that's a natural human I think in amongst the questioning Mm-hmm. when we have lived in a world and been taught to think in a way that says, oh, it's either this or it's that, and we have dedicated our life to achieving and charging after things and being this high performer. So the moment we question that, we say, well, if that's wrong, it must be that I flip to the other extreme. Yeah, and that's what not I what would we need. Love, no, what I would love is for leaders who have had that, that little aha moment, even if they're not fully there yet, is to realise that what we're suggesting is not the abandoning of, of what you previously did. It is about no longer operating in a way, either as a leader, manager, whatever your role is, or from that perspective of your business, it's saying let's not engage in ways where it is a win-lose situation, yeah. where we engage that if I win... I'm sorry, it's going to be at the cost of you actually being stripped of dignity or value or money or power. That is not what's needed here. And I think that the the ways we think, the what we would call a designally disposition and the the ability to say, what perspective do I look at this problem from? What tools do I bring? What thinking tools and frameworks could I use? If we as leaders take our responsibility to instead be I am going to grapple with this business model or grapple with this problem that we're, we're facing until I design a win-win rather than just the first idea that comes to our mind or the first way that we say, oh, that makes financial sense. I'm going to yeah. run after that. Yeah. That's our job as leaders. So let's sit in that space. Let's conceptualise. Let's have the conversations and explore and design together till we create a win-win, not just until the first thing that makes commercial sense drops into our head. 
and I'm I'm putting uh, my head in one of those uh, leaders' minds for just a moment to hear yeah. you say, "Why not grapple and come up with a win-win?" To me, that sounds like an adventure. It really does. Oh, great. It says, yeah. "Thank, yeah." Hey, yes. I have to admit. I was a little bit bored in the old ways of things. And now this idea that I can uh, follow this uh, new line of thought that has a lot to do with mine and what Bessie helps me bring in. Uh, uh, wouldn't it be amazing legacy yes. a year, five years from now mm -hmm. that our company has a much better reputation mm -hmm. uh, that we're certainly doing well on the market if yeah. we're public and so forth and and i can do it differently and yes. and get give myself credit for that uh yes. and then uh wow so yeah. again i say watch out bessie graham the the phone's <laughs> going to be ringing off the hook down there in australia uh and because and i'm i'm teasing a little bit but not really because in my heart as i finish this conversation i have to tell you this is something that you do that I have sought for my entire career, even before I went to college. I've always believed that leadership is something far better than anything we've ever squeezed into the millions and millions of books and articles we've written about it. Mm -hmm. There's something there that has not yet been said and done. And Bessie Graham, the leadership alchemist is doing it so thank you thank you my pleasure looking forward to that that phone uh, ringing because i i do want to have conversations Please, uh, <laughs> let's explore it and i do think together we're going to come up with many of the solutions that while we stay in these little silos and expertise we can't crack the big and there's absolutely no happening. fun in the silo anymore. It, it no smells fun. of old grain. <laughs> so thank you again. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to anactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, and, and one more thing. How could I forget? The book On Practice as a Way of Being is available now in digital form something that would be new like podcasting to many of us. And it's a, a great way of learning more and more about what this podcast presented when Peter Vale and I originated it several years ago. So please come to www.mylibrary, one word, dot world slash practice. And you'll see what I mean. Thank you.